Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. I hope everybody had a great holiday season. One of the things I want to talk about today is the new law that's uh, been passed, getting rid of the Obamacare mandate. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the future of our health care system. I think we've done a lot of talking over the last few years since the Affordable Care Act passed about whether it's been a good thing for the future of health care or not. And anybody who's listened to my show knows that I think it's been a disaster. And if I had my way, this thing would never have passed. And the second thing that I would have wanted is to have it repealed totally as fast as possible. Now that we're almost eight years down the road, really the reality of total repeal was never going to happen, honestly. It's such an octopus that put its tentacles into every aspect of our healthcare system. Just reversing that really wouldn't have been an option. I think the fact that the mandate is now gone is one of the best things that could have happened. And that's what I've been arguing for, actually, um, for the past couple of years. There's too many people entrenched in the fantasy of having the Affordable Care Act. And to know, that is, I don't know if you can ever change their minds about it. But there's a growing number of people who always wanted was just to be released from it, to find another option. And what the mandate does is it allows them to do that. So I think this is the most painless way of getting rid of the Affordable Care Act and, and more importantly, putting pressure on the healthcare system to make changes that benefit people, that benefit patients. There was no, no, I can't put it, impetus, no pressure on the system to change under the Affordable Care Act because it was becoming a monopoly. See, big to fail hospitals, like four insurance companies now from dozens, um, pharmaceutical companies making out like bandits on the backs of patients. And it was just a big gravy train. And, I mean, we could talk about the Affordable Care Act all day, but what it really became was a feeding frenzy for corporations and for big pharma, and in my opinion, a delivery system for, for drugs to patients. That's all doctors and nurses were doing. And physician assistance is following an algorithm that led to a prescription at the end of that train, which is ridiculous. And the system was becoming more expensive, less, you know, um, less of a a place where doctors and patients can actually have a relationship. And it's just a messed up system. Now, if people don't like it, they can leave it. If they don't like their doctor, they can find another one. If they don't want to use health insurance at all and just do cash-based or direct primary care or medical cost-sharing, they can. And this is going to be the thing that makes the system respond. It only understands money. And before it had a captive audience who could do whatever it wanted, now it's going to have to be responsive to the patient. And I hope what that will mean, and I think it will down the road, is they're going to legislate out the removal of catastrophic plans. I believe they're going to come back with a vengeance. And all those plans you have to buy, pediatric dentistry and, um, you know, everything in the kitchen, including the kitchen sink, which you don't need, those plans are going to be for those who want them and for those that don't. You're going to have what you, the skeleton of what you need, and that's going to bring the cost down. So it may take a while, but I don't think it's going to take that long, honestly. I think there may be a couple of years before we, at least maximum, before we start seeing the insurance companies respond. Now, I don't think, well, hopefully we'll see other insurance companies pop up in markets that only have one, where the Affordable Care Act devastated the market, like Arizona and Florida and even Georgia, where there's only about three major insurance companies left, that will be the thing that will reverse all of this movement. And I think patients can become uh, 
healthcare consumers, which is really what they should be all along. If you know what the price is, then you're easily able to choose what you want. And things that cost 10 times more than what their value is will drop because if you don't go to the hospital and get a CT or do blood work and you don't go to lab core, you know, you know, directly to get your blood work or quest or whatever you go, and you go to Anytime Lab instead, they'll get the picture and they'll get the message. If you do BlinkHealth.com instead of using your insurance card to buy your medication, all of these things will drive the cost down. So I'm really pleased about it. What about you, Dave? What do you think? As far as uh, the changes, yeah. I, I think... Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. I think they're great, personally, uh, and I think um, it's it's going to bring a focus on the insurance like nothing else has. And I and you made a point uh, that other insurance companies will come into the market. I think this is the thing. I think it's called capitalism, and mm-hmm. I think it's the best thing that could happen. That. Um, People will, insurance companies will see opportunities, and then all of a sudden uh, we'll, have, we'll have choices, and choice is always good. Always good. And let's be clear, this has not been capitalism that's been going on in our country. It's been, you know, how can I put it, cronyism, you know. It's not, you know, direct competition between businesses. It's been those that have been favored by the government getting contracts and ruling the system and removing competition summarily. That's what it's been. I mean, look at Amazon. As soon as they became a government contractor, they became too big to fail, really. They pushed out all sorts of competition. Now they're in, they're trying to get into pharmacy. They are doing they're encroaching on everything, which is completely inappropriate. And I don't know if people saw the articles over the holidays, but they were pretty alarming. People working in Amazon facilities, not taking bathroom breaks, working just around the clock to get the product out. It was like slave labor. But who's going to stop them, right? Where's the the push or the the, the government when they're doing business with this company? to such an extent to tell them you can't do this. I mean, this is this is in England, in the UK especially, where this has been going on. But if it's in the UK, you wonder what other facilities are like elsewhere, right? I know that my mail service sucks during our holiday, pre-holiday and holiday um, uh, time frame. We were getting mail at 10 o'clock at night, and it came to pass, or we came to know that they were delivering the United Postal Service Amazon packages. They're not playing with paying the same rate as you and I are, Dave. They're getting a discount. They're getting paid per package, overwhelming the system, and their packages got delivered first and our packages second. UPS is the same thing. They contracted with Amazon, and next thing you know, their drivers are just working around the clock. I mean, it was just a fiasco. But again, you get what you pay for. You really want to discount knowing that this kind of strife is going on in the labor side of their company? Or do you want to go to, to a brick and mortar and actually help help an economy or help somebody get paid a proper rate? I mean, it all depends on us as consumers, all down the line. It really does. If you choose to go to something for convenience because it's cheap, think about the consequences of it, you know? How is it so cheap? What is it that makes it so cheap? How are they cutting the prices? Is it on the backs of their workers? Is it on the backs of the you know the people who make the product? Because it's not coming from the United States most of the time. Is the people are the people who sell to Amazon? And I used this example before, but the book that I have, I mean, I'm giving about thirty percent of what I charge because the rest goes to Amazon, and I have to ship it to them at my cost. So I like buy it from. If you want to buy my books, buy it from my website because I'm tired of subsidizing Amazon. That's my attitude towards it. So there's a there's a reason that they're so cheap because they're really taking serious chunks out of the people who produce something, and that's the problem with our system right now. People who produce are the ones that are getting shafted, 
and the people who are glomming on to them are the ones taking the bite out. And that goes for the insurance companies. It's the doctor doing the work. It's the radiology center doing the work. The insurance company does absolutely nothing. There is no value to an insurance company except they tell you as as the patient that they're helping you out. They're discounting it. Hardly. What they're doing is taking a huge chunk of administrative fees and your premiums and not paying the doctor. I'm still waiting to be paid for a case that I did two months ago. And the insurance company has given us letter after letter saying they want more information, which we sent on multiple occasions. Meanwhile, the patient pays their premium. They're collecting a, um, an interest rate on, the, on their bank account. And I'm the one who did the case. And I'm the one shafted. I'm done with that system. Now that we have the mandate gone, I think the next course of action for us to really fight for, for patients and doctors, is for the insurance companies to play on a, a level playing field. No longer should they be able to make you jump through a pre-cert, get the number, get the approval, and then pull the rug after the fact. I'm done with that. That is fraud, in my opinion. If you, you know, put yourself out there as something to help the patient, and you have a list of what you cover, the person, the patient, and the doctor do what they're supposed to do to get the coverage, and you deny it after the fact arbitrarily, that should be a reason for some sort of litigation, in my opinion. I don't know what your take is, but to me that sounds like fraud, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. No question about it. Um, You know, things are coming up, and things have happened uh, the past four years, eight years, that in my wildest dreams I would have never thought. And we've had a uh, lackluster, to say, to put it mildly, Congress that hasn't stood for anything and hasn't blocked anything they've just sort of gone along with. And um, uh, we've, we've <laughs> I've never, I've, it's just incredible, just absolutely incredible. Unfortunately, we got to take our first break. Not our, unfortunately, but uh, we've got to take our first break on Medicine on Call. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. You know, before the break, Dave, you talked about a do nothing Congress, but you really have to follow the money on them. They have an enormous appetite for cash flow. That's what they live for. They live for funding their next congressional campaign. I was told this by one of the aides, honestly. But, and there was an article that came out over the, over the fall. You know, they spend a majority of their time working donors, not crafting legislation. They're not the ones doing that. It's the aides, it's the other people in the office that actually do the work, make the laws, you know, make the sausage, whatever you want to call it. And all they're out there doing is glad handling people for money. And whoever has the biggest pocketbook has the most power. Remember, that's the mantra. So if you know the top 10 lobby groups are healthcare related, then you should not be surprised that Obamacare got passed that there was a complete disregard for the voice of the people and of the physicians and of the, the frontline healthcare workers. They were ignored in this thing. And unless we get out there and continue to pound this, this is the opening that we needed to stop the train. It was moving very quickly towards socialized medicine, and it did a great job of almost getting us there. This so-called SGR, you know, the doc fix, the um, accountable care organizations, electronic medical records, um, the Medicare changes with this, you know, was it uh, value-based payment system? It's all total crap. And what it is, it's the underpinning and the foundation for socialized medicine, where the doctors are put on a, a very short leash to do what they're told or not be paid, or fined, or jailed for being an advocate for the patient. Moving people away from individualized healthcare to a one-size-fits-all, algorithm-driven, 
hospice-based healthcare system, where on top, the cherry on top, is losing your private health information in an electronic medical record system that can give a damn. But it's actually metadata that's mined for trends, for population-based medicine, and for feeding the coffers, or I should say, the, not the coffers in, in, in a financial sense, but in a data sense, World Health Organization, the UN, that's what that was all about, about standardization of our healthcare system so that we fit into the global socialized medicine healthcare system. Not about healthcare, it was all about information and about control and about information about you. Anything that, that the, you know, the government and the centralized planners can get about a person, about what they think, about their health care, about their choices. They're doing this on all other platforms, mind you. They're doing it on social media. They're doing it on telephone, metadata. I mean, they capture your emails, your, your voice calls, everything. This is all just one other piece of the, of the puzzle to figure out you before you can. They want to, they want to be able to think two steps ahead of you. Whatever you're going to do, they want to make sure they know what that step is going to be. And one of the most important things I learned when I went up to D.C. was that the knowledge base about your finances and your social media is not as important, half as important, as your health information. And the reason that they think that is because it doesn't change, right? Once you get a diagnosis of high blood pressure, basically you have it diabetes, you have it. Things don't change all that much from a healthcare perspective, you know? So once you have that static piece of information, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. They love that. They want that. They don't want us to actually be individuals because you can't control an individual, but you can drive a population in a way that you want to drive them. You know, you have a few fewer buttons to push if you want to think about it that way. Why would they have just huge amounts of information on everybody? Why? From the time you're born, even from your DNA and your cord blood from your child, that is kept on file in some states forever. What are they using that for? I mean, think about this in the bigger picture, folks. Not just a little piece here, a little piece there. It now becomes this huge monolithic system where they know more about you than you do. I have a problem with that, Dave. I just don't know. I see all these commercials about DNA, ancestry, DNA, and blah, blah, blah. I'm never going to do that. I would like to know it would be kind of interesting, but knowing that, that you no longer control that information, you don't have access to what they're going to do with it, I have a problem with Why do they need to know everybody's genetic DNA? Why? Why would the government or private companies need to know that information? I know we're getting outside of of the mandate, you know, the loss of the mandate, but really, it's one big picture. This is just one piece. Think you know, about the bigger picture, guys. Whatever makes it easy doesn't necessarily make it better, you know? Well, we've talked about this uh, a number of shows that, uh, like you said, why does the government need to know my DNA? And for anybody to take... <clears throat> to buy into the ads that are on TV, rest yeah. assured, as soon as you send it in, and as soon as they've analyzed it or done whatever, the government gets it as well. And I, you know, this is just something that, you know, if you sit back and just think about it, it should scare the hell out of you. It really should. I mean, they've already written articles about how they can sell it to whoever wants to buy it. Once you send it to them, you no longer own your DNA information. The genetic information is out for the highest bidder at that point. That should frighten you. That's your blueprint. That's all you have, right? That, that's what makes you, you. Why should anybody have any control over that? It's bad enough that when your child is born, they can take the cord blood and sell it to research and maybe come up with a cancer for cancer, maybe, or whatever they're doing with it. But you don't own that. You don't get any benefit from that. You don't get any residual from that. It's gone. And it's not with your knowledge either. You don't, you know, 
consent to this. This is not with your consent. And that's another problem. There's no informed consent in this type of system. You just have stuff done to you. Being admitted to a hospital these days, and let's say you come in unconscious, they're giving you vaccines for flu and this and this. They don't tell you. That's part of what they do. They they do all sorts of, you know, routine algorithm-driven tests on you and treatments, but you don't consent to them anymore. They don't tell your family when you go on at comfort care and Dr. Singleton said they don't tell you these things you just do it comfort care means they're withdrawing your, your treatment they're putting you on morphine and palliative care you may be 40 years old with a non-threatening illness a non-life-threatening illness but you may end up on there and I tell you I've seen it happen people getting having a heart attack not getting aggressive treatment to help with pneumonia next thing you know they're, they're no longer on the surface no ENT consult was called for a tracheostomy. No, you know, not even heroic measures, but aggressive measures that would have been done on a viable patient 10 years ago are not the standard of care anymore. And who brought that up? When did that become the standard of care? Just this central planning crap that goes on. Central planning is a bad thing. And for those who want the government to have more power, they're going to be, you know, signing away their autonomy on things that they don't even know about. And God forbid you get sick. Then your choices are limited. Whether you can get a bone marrow transplant, because that's going to become experimental in some insurance plans. Whether you get allergy treatment, that's experimental. Whether you get sinus surgery, that's not necessary. That's where we are right now. This is the time now to bring this pendulum back before it's too late. A lot of things have gone down the road very, very far, and it's affected patient care. We need to actually educate the patients, the physicians, and any frontline healthcare worker. It should not be about turf battles anymore. I mean, we've let divide and conquer become an art form. Nurses are now doctors of nursing, doctors of nursing. They're clamoring for autonomy and parity and pay as if it's the same thing as an MD. That's not appropriate, but it's gone down the path because of, guess what, follow the money. Because hiring a nurse practitioner or a licensed practical nurse instead of a registered nurse or a physician assistant instead of an MD, it's all about money and cost-cutting for the hospital. They believe that they can actually have one physician oversee dozens of uh, allied healthcare professionals and it's going to save them money. They're going to be able to pocket the difference. You have telemedicine growing exponentially because insurance companies and, and hospitals think they're going to save money because they won't have to see a patient in a brick and mortar location or get some, you know, get a physician to see the patient and maybe order tests. This all could be done remotely and it's going to be cheaper but you get what you pay for. And the people who fall through the cracks who get delayed diagnoses, wrong diagnosis, medications that are doubled up because someone didn't look at the chart or pick up the phone and call another physician to figure out what the patient was on. This is the cost to the system, but more importantly, the cost to the patient. Once you have a bad outcome that could have been avoided, you cannot reverse it in some cases. And that, to me, is one reason why we need to pull the system back. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. 
Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. And Gase, from your perspective, as you know, just expanding a little bit on this law, from a small business perspective and physician perspective, I'm pretty happy about this because this, you know, frees up more resources for me to expand my practice to help, you know, my employees more economically. And, you know, from your perspective is this it's just expanding past the healthcare question for a second. Is that gonna be something that you're also happy with? Yeah, uh, in fact I was talking to uh, my accountant yesterday, as a matter of fact, and uh, we're getting together because there are some <clears throat> you know, the, the the interesting thing about this, the the news has bad mouthed it almost with with a few exceptions. Uh, about, you know, that it wasn't for the middle class and this and that. But uh, from what my accountant was saying, you know, it's it's going to help small businesses. It's going to help large businesses. Um, mm-hmm. And it should be a, a quite a, a stimulant for the economy. And uh, the only only thing that I'm seeing from him, from, the, from my accountant, is the fact that uh, you know, we, we've got to do a little bit of planning, and uh, which we should. And it's a lot easier to deal with something like this, <clears throat> pardon me, than it has been with uh, what we've been going through for years and years and years. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. Me too. Um, I, you know, we need to stop, you know, I should say, listening to the mainstream media, media rhetoric because I think that they really enjoy, it seems to me, people being on the edge, people being driven by fear, did, did you hear the, Did you hear the latest this morning? No. The mainstream media is going after Melania Trump for cutting down a 200-year-old tree in, uh-huh. in front of the White House, that she, you know she's just a, a, a tree killer and no telling what she's going <laughs> to do next. The tree is dying. She has been advised that before it falls on somebody, they really ought to cut it down. And yes, everybody appreciates that it's a 200-year-old tree. But I and I didn't know that the first lady was in charge of the grounds of the White <laughs> House. Yeah, but she is, and then it's her responsibility. So, you know, when when the arborist came to her and said this tree is dying, it's in, you know, it's 200 years old. Uh, we suggest that you cut it down. She said, "Fine, cut it down." But they're going. The mainstream media is all over for cutting down a 200-year-old tree. Yeah, it's. If they don't have anything positive to say, I mean, it's such a skewed view of everything. It's kind of hard to believe anything that they say at this point. Uh, apparently, I think the the president paid for meals for the detail and anybody in. You know, in Florida, that's taking care of working, military, et cetera, for Christmas, and he paid out of his own pocket. Nobody believes that either. So I'm like, you know, you can't win. This is the worst thing ever, the mandate. It's going to kill Obamacare. It's going to kill patients. But meanwhile, the people who, the 10 million people that it supposedly helped, a lot of them dropped out because they couldn't afford it, or they were still going to the ER, or, you know, they forego seeing the, you know, seeing the doctor at all because they couldn't afford the out-of-pocket cost. But that was awesome. I mean, why would, it's not, the thing didn't work. Why wouldn't people come to the table in order to craft something that would work for everybody? Because they're not interested in that. It's, we want to win at all costs. doesn't matter about the consequences. It's just, we're, we're interested in winning and changing the direction of the country. And the direction of the country was going down the tubes. How do you... How do you sit back and say that you want to continue the same path when 
the changes that have been made so far have brought money back to the system. I mean, 14 companies deciding that they want to invest in the country and raise the pay from $15 to $15 an hour for their workers or give them bonuses. You know, I don't think I heard anything like that about that on mainstream media. Did you? Did they even talk about that? <laughs> I'm oh, well, sure they did. I, I, um, I must admit I don't watch it. So uh, every now and then, depending on the subject, I might switch over to just see if there's a take at all. But if I watch TV, I'm certainly not watching uh, what, what's been labeled mainstream. And I'm not sure it's mainstream anymore. I think no, they're. I, I think they're losing their stream. Actually, I agree, and I don't watch either. But when you're sitting in an airport, that's what's on TV. So you watch the, you know, the captions. You're like, why? What happened to the part about, you know, the this is the best Christmas in terms of retail sales in years. You know, the unemployment rate for Black and Hispanic people are down. Ownership of for black folks in the country of houses, housing ownership is up. None of those things are being talked about at all. It's just how awful everything is. And I'm not sure that this is going to hold water when people start getting paychecks where they're getting more money in them or they're getting jobs. I'm not sure that that, that narrative is going to continue to be something that they can, I mean, they might try, but we're all in this together. You know, it's at some point, Everybody, I would believe, who really does want things to get better will have to come to the table and start moving, working together to make, make sure everything's continuing to move forward instead of divide and conquer. It's very tedious. And from a healthcare perspective, they've been doing a bang-up job on dividing nurses from doctors and physician assistants from, you know, everybody's got their little system that they're trying to protect their control over. It should always be about the patient and not anything else. And I think this year, well, I know this year coming, from our show perspective, we're gonna actually start exploring parts of the healthcare system that nobody ever talks about. Nurses who became physicians and nurses, and, and looking at the nursing shortage and looking at how it's affecting patient care. You know, the different aspects of what the healthcare team is and how it's made up, and how the hospitals are affecting healthcare delivery. All these things are never addressed, and I think they have to be. And we have to have an honest conversation about what's, what's gone wrong so that we can pull it back. This is, there's room at the table for everybody. And there shouldn't be, I'm better than you. And it's <laughs> the, I guess it's the, the way the advertising, the nursing profession has now put themselves in a position where they're the heart of medicine and doctors are the brain and we don't care kind of thing. We have to stop that. And if you're doing something to help yourself at the expense of another aspect of our healthcare system, it doesn't help anybody. But it's the patients who really need to be educated. So they can make, again, an informed choice. If you want to go to a hospital or an ER that's staffed by mid-level providers like a nurse or a physician assistant, then fine. But you're going to pay the same rate as you are if one that's staffed by an MD that's emergency medical, emergency medicine trained, board certified, and they're not the same folks. So this is what we're going to discuss. Obamacare is on its way out, and it's all about solutions. That's what we need to concentrate on. We know how it sucks. Cover that ad nauseum. Now it's about the solution part of it. And this is, the, this is the beauty of this whole law. Now you can be free from the yoke of being fined or living under duress in terms of health care. Now you can actually find a way to make the system work for you. I did it for myself. I did it for my, uh, my friends, for my family, for my office. I don't play the insurance game. I don't have an insurance plan. I don't want one. I don't want to feed that system. I, you know, everybody who knows who listens to my show, I belong to Liberty Health Share. It has become such just, I feel like I'm taking care of myself. I'm not being gouged. I'm paying less than $200 a month. I'm paying no more than $500 out of pocket per year. And I added a supplemental policy like Aflac, which 
double covers me. So I have to go to the dentist in a couple of months to get some work done. I now have an AFLAC policy in place that's going to pay me up to $1,600 back for that dental work. And that's like $16 a month in policy. What, what part of that would you understand? You know, why would you want to go and get an insurance plan and pay a couple thousand, some people, for a family a month for $10,000 deductible? None of that stuff is covered. Can't, you can't go to a chiropractor. You can't go to a holistic doctor. You can't go to an alternative medical doctor. They're not going to pay for it. You can't go to, I don't know, a medical tourism out of the country to get something done in a different country because it's cheaper or better technique. Those things don't exist in that system. If you go to the parallel system where it's more aligned with individual choices, where it's price transparent, people list their prices online. People tell you when you call to their office what it's going to cost before you walk into the office. People can, some doctors and a growing number can dispense medication in their practice and they roll it into the cost of the membership of the direct primary care practice or any cash-based practice and if they have a pharmacy. You can get a fourth fraction of what you're paying the um, big chain pharmacies. I mean, there's so many things out there that you really just need to take a step back and do your due diligence and do your research and find, you'd be pleasantly surprised that you can have a better standard of healthcare for a fraction of what you're paying. I mean, I mean, I don't, anybody who's listening to this show, honestly, I would hope at this point has used some strategy that we've talked about to help themselves get out of the, under the yoke of healthcare uh, costs in our country. Let's talk about labs. If you go to LabCorp, Quest, the two biggest players in town, you're going to get gouged for 10, 15, 20 times more in, in the cost of the lab than you would if you go to any labs now. Um, that's a website. And they do the same. Actually, I think they actually farm their stuff to LabCorp and Quest. But they have a deal that if they pay, they pay cash, the cost, the, the price scale is completely different than the insurance price scale. So getting a, I don't know, a thyroid exam, a thyroid test, which can cost you a couple hundred in LabCorp, it's like $40 any time lab. I mean, you don't even need a prescription. Let's say this year you're going for your wellness check, you know, your yearly, and they give you a whole row of labs that you have to get, whether that be your white count, you know, your cholesterol, all these things they order. Take that list and go to Anytime Labs and get your blood work done there. And they'll send you a copy the next day, the following day, and you can send a copy to your doctor. But that's the first step you can do, an easy one, to control your health care costs about that you know these are things that people if you knew I think you would do it wouldn't you Dave oh yeah <clears throat> no question about it um, and the same thing goes for uh, other tests uh, CAT scans MRIs MRAs uh, <clears throat> there are alternatives if people would just I take agree. the time to look for them yeah I mean just because it's one-stop shop with your insurance plan or they give you their uh, preferred network that's not saving you any money. You know, this is a system, again, that's based on artificial, artificially elevated costs. There's no reality base in a hospital bill. It's made up completely. The fact that you have to have something done before they can tell you the cost of something should give you pause. That's like you going to a supermarket and buying something, not having any price on the product, and then when they ring you up, then you find out what the price is. What, what kind of nonsense is that? That should be the same thing in terms of healthcare, and it is, quite frankly. So I challenge anybody, who, God forbid you have any health need this coming year, you should take a different approach to it. And it's anylabtestnow, that's the website, anylabtestnow.com. Go on there, you can do wellness, you can do vitamin D, any lab that you that a doctor would order, you can actually get it there, even allergy testing, blood, the blood version of allergy testing which can be $1,000 in LabCorp, is a fraction under that system. And this is not as different, as I said, 
They're using the same labs as you would doing with an insurance plan. Go to American Health Imaging. That's a radiology center. I'm sure it's nationwide now, but there are dozens of locations here in Georgia. CT scans, MRIs, X-rays, ultrasounds for a fraction of the price of what you would pay if you go to a hospital. They tack on facility fees, just arbitrary charges for using their equipment, which, by the way, they own. So once you pay for the equipment, Dave, you get still charged for using the equipment. I mean, isn't that built into the cost of the procedure? I mean, in my opinion, that's how it should work. But no, they're paying for EKG machine, doing the EKG, interpreting the EKG. I mean, that's a lot of money when you start tacking on these little itemized charges within the, the order. You know, the doctor doesn't get paid for this. Let me, let me be clear. Let me say this once again. The doctor does not get paid for ordering the EKG. So the, the wives' tale that doctors get paid for ordering tests is total BS. It's the, it's the hospital that does. But the doctor is the face of it. So we've taken the brunt, the anger, the outrage of patients being gouged to the nines. And it's not us. We account for seven cents of the health care bill, period. Our, our fee has gone down. We've gotten paid less over the years. Why the hospitals have gotten huge. Why do you think they have all these hospitals building new plants, you know, upgrading the facilities, buying different hospitals? Where did that money come from? It came from the patient, not from the doctor, you know, making, making money on this. Granted, they have to pay the doctors a salary, but that's a fixed cost. We don't get bonuses. I mean, I'm, I can't say we if I don't belong to that system. I'm independent. But the doctors who are on staff at these hospitals don't get bonuses. And they're working around the clock. God forbid you're a hospitalist and you're working 12-hour shifts five days a week and it rolls over to the next shift because you have to finish your work. I mean, that's a whole other system. Yeah, you know, Complete slave labor. Some, something um, else... No, well, let's take a break, and then when we get back, I want to talk about practices that have sold out to hospitals oh, yeah. that can cause you very unpleasant surprises. Absolutely. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. And this is the last time Dr. Singleton was on. She talked about this. Doctors who sell their practices or corporations, corporate-driven, you know, I guess, hedge funds who are now in the healthcare business will buy a practice or, or multiple practices and then they become the financial underpinning of the practice. The price scale can change, but it looks exactly the same. So they didn't change the shingle, they didn't change the name of the practice, but for all intents and purposes, the practice got sold. You don't know what's going on until you get a bill like you described. Or the doctor, and I should say in defense of the doctor, they may not know this either. If they sell their practice to a hospital, the hospital charge master becomes the, the, the scale that they're working under. They may not know what the cost of something is anymore, honestly. But they should tell the patient that they sold their practice and give them a heads up. I think that's reasonable. Or they have a colonoscopy done in the office and the anesthesia service is not in the patient's network. That's another little nasty surprise that patients can get because they're going to get billed for that because it's outside of the network. The insurance company won't pay for it and they'll be charged for the anesthesia services or the pathology services or the consult in the hospital where the consult to the ENT group is not in their network, but they don't know that. You know, they, all we know is that they're in the hospital, they're in the doctor's office, and everything should be covered by their insurance. Time for folks to start asking these questions. Absolutely. And call their insurance companies. You really can't just whip out your insurance card and think everything's hunky-dory because it's not. And not all doctor's offices will do the due diligence to figure out if something has a deductible or if something's just a copay. My office does that because I'm not interested in getting stuck with holding the bag on not being paid. So I will tell my patients, and we do it before they come in, what their deductible is, what their allowed amount is, 
if I have to do a procedure, if it's going to engage your deductible and how much it's going to be. And then I let the patient decide whether or not they want the procedure. But I think we're an exception to the rule. But you should demand that as a patient. If your doctor can't tell you what something's going to be, don't do it. You know, you find know, some paperwork. I, I want to throw in that, you know, patients uh, are people that will take the time and call their doctor, call their hospital, whatever. And then that you call the hospital and say, okay, I'm going to have a, uh, I'm going to have uh, my knee, uh, knee replacement. How much is it? How much is the hospital going to cost me? And the hospitals are, well, we can't answer that. My goodness. We don't know what's going to happen. And we, how could we, there is Oklahoma Surgical Center, Oklahoma City, they publish what they charge for doing everything that they do. Everything right. from orthopedics to, you know, up and down the gambit, any type of surgery. And um, if they can do it, then a local hospital should be able to do it too. And I think that the biggest thing that, that we as patients should do is start holding the facilities feet to the fire on what is this cost for what is that cost i want you to tell me what it's going to cost me to have this procedure done absolutely itemized bills if you do get hospitalized or you do go to the er any any hospital interaction that you have you should have them itemize the bill afterwards and see if all the charges on there are valid that's the first step if things are doubled you know, they have a duplicate procedure. Or you never got this medication. You know, they put it on there. They're doing, they don't care. They're going to do the kitchen sink in. If you pay it, hey, it's on you. But people make mistakes. And this is something that's been going on for quite a while. There's a lot, a lot, millions of stories out there about how when they got the itemized bill back, they were appalled that these things were never done or duplicated. They took it back to the financial services, the financial department, and it got erased. This is what you need to do as, as consumers. You can't just go out there. I mean, you don't do it anywhere else. You don't do it with cars. You don't do it with, with uh, mechanics. You don't do it with buying any kind of uh, appliance. You, you know what the price is of something. You try to get the price down, get the best deal you can, and you can do the same thing with the hospitals. One of the things that if you don't want to be that proactive with an insurance plan, that's what the medical cost-sharing plans will do. Liberty HealthShare, actually, and I'm sure MediShare and Samaritan has the same policy, I would think, but I can speak to this because I've seen this. Liberty HealthShare has a, a portion of, that, and of, of their company that goes out and negotiates, pre-negotiates with the hospital and post-negotiates. So once you have the surgery done, for example, you get the bill, and Liberty HealthShare thinks it's excessive because they know what the actual cash base of something is, they'll go and talk to the, the um, hospital and try to negotiate this down. And they win in a lot of cases because they're paying cash. So it's all about the money. Hospitals want to be paid quickly. They will make a deal with you to pay a cash-based price that's significantly different, sometimes 70% less than you pay using an insurance plan. That, to me, is the major player in all of this. This is why the Affordable Care Act was such a bad thing. It made it sound like if you didn't have health insurance, you didn't have health care. You were going to die. Everything was going to be awful. It's absolutely not true. It's actually more power to carry your pocketbook in there and say, I'm going to give you cash. What deal can you make me? 70% discount right off the bat. I can take people to a pre-standing OR in my city and get 70% off for their surgery if they pay cash. It's like a no-brainer. Why would anybody carry an insurance plan for routine stuff, for small ticket items even? Just catastrophic. Oh my God, the end of an ICU, that's it. You know, that's a whole different problem. If you're going for a hernia repair or a tonsillectomy, or you're getting, you know, routine ultrasound, whatever, you shouldn't be bankrupted for that. That's ridiculous. But that's where supplemental policies kick in. People don't know about AFLAC and Mutual of Omaha and always the policies, but they are designed to actually be the gap policy. So they'll give you money for a diagnosis. You get diagnosed with 
an MI or a cancer, that policy is there, no questions asked, to pay you for the diagnosis. So if we get hospitalized with our office, if we get a diagnosis of cancer, AFLAC will pay us $250,000 policy, face value, no questions asked. All you do is call up and say, hey, I've gotten this diagnosis, and they cut that check. What part of that do, not, do you not understand? Do you really want to take a roulette you know, attitude towards what their insurance will pay for it? Or do you want to call up another company like AFLAC who's designed to pay you for being sick? Paid to be healthy is how, how I like to term it. Why would you not carry a small policy like that as insurance against someone telling you you can't have something? That doesn't make sense to me. Dental, eye, hospital, accident, ICU, catastrophic coverage, things like diabetes, uh, kidney disease, things that are really big ticket items. Those are covered under the AFLAC policies and policies like AFLAC versus strict medical insurance. You know, this is all about information. If people want to learn more about that, they should text Paid to Be Healthy, the text number 36260, and get more information. I didn't know what AFLAC was until somebody walked into my office and talked to me about it. And now I offer to my office staff. And they're going to dentists and getting paid for getting their teeth pulled, like 600 bucks. I'm like, what? You know, that's for like a less than $50 a month, that's what they're paying, and they're getting paid back. That's how you work the system, folks. You don't just wait for something to happen to you and hope for the best. You're proactive. You have a plan in place, and you work the system. The system is not designed for it to work for you. You have to actually know some of these little little sheets in order to help yourself. You don't have to be bankrupted. That's the mantra, and that's what people are going to learn more about this year. So I know we have to end the show, and I want to thank you for listening, and I'm looking forward to having you all back as uh, my audience in the new year. I want to thank you for your support, and God bless. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. 